Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. It is great to be back in the air chair and doing a live program again, you know, because things change so quickly now. Events. It's like uh, it's a quickening. Right. So being off the air, at least not being live, that is for two days. It seems like I've been away for weeks. I I, I go to bed. You do this. I go to bed asking myself, what's the country going to look like when I wake up? Will it still be here? (laughs) Um, Anyway, I I attend a, a Bible study group. Uh, at All Saints Greek Orthodox Church in Toronto. Naturally, it's been online for for some time, and I haven't been able to attend for quite a while because of my schedule. It sort of conflicts with uh, this program and some other things that I'm doing. Anyway, we had a, a potluck yesterday uh, to sort of mark the uh, the end of the Bible study for the year until uh, until the fall. And about, I guess, 30 of us gathered in the parking lot outside the church. And, you know, everyone, we brought salads and pizza and desserts. Wonderful, wonderful time. There was, we sat around uh, several tables and uh, there was some live music. And it was just, it was so normal. It was wonderful to be around people, you know, no social. Well, there was a little social distancing, and, uh, no masks because we were al fresco, right? We were eating outdoors. Anyway, a couple of people um, I hadn't seen since I started this new project here at Saga 960. And they asked me about the program and they were curious to know how it is I'm able to talk about the things that I talk about on this show. And, you know, there are a few of us here at the station, Mark Petroni and Carly Nation, who, I mean, let's face it, we stick our necks out. We push back. It's not easy. Uh, I think it's fair to say we couldn't do this. We couldn't talk about much of what we talk about on just about any other radio station. There may be a few exceptions out there. But if I brought, let's say, Dr. Peter McCullough uh, or Dr. Roger Hodkinson or Dr. Phillips on to push back against the the government sanctioned narrative regarding COVID, I'd be fired, fired. If I tried to talk about radical gender ideology or push back against the idea of biological men participating in women's sports, or if I talked about, you know, what's wrong with Bill C-6, this law to outlaw conversion therapy or the the horror of allowing minor children to be given hormone blockers or to talk about abortion or to call out critical race theory or to champion homeschooling 
or to challenge the nonsense and the non-science of, of cataclysmic man-made climate change, I'd be fired or I wouldn't get in the front door. I need not apply. But thankfully, thankfully, the, um, there's an old saying, right? You're only as, as uh, you can only be as, I guess, brave or as courageous as, as the management behind you. And thankfully, the ownership here at Saga 960, they have integrity, they have courage, or maybe they're not listening that carefully. <laughs> no matter. I'm still here to fight another day, and I'm glad to be here. And incidentally, Wednesdays, we do push back against climate change alarmism. And Tony Heller, the founder of RealClimateScience.com, will be here. Bill C-36. They were right. They said, oh, wait till they get a load of uh, Bill C-36. If you think Bill C-10 is bad, wait till B's, uh, Bill C-36. Well, it, it is bad. It's appallingly bad. Uh, the liberals want to reintroduce Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act, which will basically punish Canadians who simply want to exercise their, their right to free speech online. And if they engage in online discussions that are not in line with liberal left woke ideology, they could be hauled into court. I mean, this goes beyond hate speech. If some member of a marginalized group decides that, that something they read online merely, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be hate per se, it could just be offensive to them. They could claim the offense is an attack on their identity. And off you go into the star chamber, the human rights tribunal. So Bill C-36 will give tremendous power to human rights uh, um, commissions. It'll be used like a hammer uh, to silence any dissenting view that is, again, deemed offensive. This, could, this would be the end of free speech. This is, this is a, um, as I say, an appallingly odious uh, bill and likely to pass once the liberals are reelected in the fall, if that happens. And could happen, very likely. Independent MP Derek Sloan will be here shortly to discuss. Uh, on Canada Day alone, there were something like 10 Christian churches set on fire. Uh, in one case, I, there was a, I believe it was a Baptist church, and there was a family inside at the time when the church was set on fire. And with a few exceptions, politicians and the media have remained silent. Uh, you know, I guess in their, I don't know, their twisted hearts, they see this vile attack by religious bigots as some, they see it as acceptable. It's acceptable because it's payback for the treatment of indigenous people in this country. Is this how we achieve reconciliation with our First Nations brothers and sisters? I think not. Anyway, I will, uh, I will speak with Melissa Embarkey, a political analyst and uh, outreach coordinator at the McDonald Laurier Institute. She's also a member of the Muscoquan First Nation. And she wrote a terrific piece about this in the National Post. And uh, I'll also speak to Melissa about the, uh, the appointment of Canada's first Indigenous Governor General, a Nanook leader, Mary Simon, just named or just appointed GG. All right. Well, this, uh, this next one should be fun. Um, we're going to meet a member of a, a secret society of conservatives who are top former analysts and traders from uh, some of the major financial institutions who, uh, who are taking on the big Wall Street guys and beating the crap out of them with their, their stock picking strategies. Dutch Masters, thinking maybe not his real name, very clever. Dutch Masters is with uh, the Carnivore Trading Group, and he'll be here in our feature guest slot. 
All right, Lou. So what do you have to say for yourself? How are you, my friend? Well, it's another great day. You know, it's a little cool, uh, threatening uh, thunderstorms, but you know, got out, did some yard work, uh, took care of some other issues. I was the chairman today. I don't mean chairman of the board. I was the guy sent out to get chairs for the, you know, <laughs> my uh, my wife, the overlord. Why do you need chairs, Lou? Uh, Madeline's having a graduation gathering on uh, Saturday. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So it like these are uh, chairs for the in the backyard. You yeah, everybody's tent. outside. A garden uh, party. OK, you know, that's good. No tent. You know, uh, if it starts raining, I'm going to put them all in the garage, right? Will there be a sweet table? Will there <laughs> yeah. be hors d'oeuvres? Actually, there's, uh, well, it's a catered play anyway. Nice. Right? There's an Afghan restaurant in Milton that Linda likes a lot. So uh, we're catering from there, skewers, beef and chicken and, you know, various uh, Afghani um, uh, delicacies. And um, as well, everybody else is going to bring something you know you were mentioning you went to a potluck what yes. did you bring richard did you bring dolmades i didn't i was not that ambitious i just <laughs> went to uh i went to a uh, i'm going to give them a plug even though they're not sponsors regino's it's a fine pizza establishment just uh like 100 yards from where i'm sitting and uh, i brought the party pack the party pizza Wow. That's the, okay. that's the, yeah, no, I know that's the easy way out, isn't it? That's uh, Well, not really. I mean, you know, you brought something and, you know, you brought something. Like if you had brought a salad, uh, it would have sat there, wilted, you know, people wouldn't, you know, I, I've always discouraged people, please don't bring salads to, you know, functions and so on. They just sit there. Well, they got, you know, the salad's got to compete with the desserts and the, you know, the the hors d'oeuvres and the cocktails. It, it just ends true. up the going nowhere. The poor lonely salad. That's it. The <laughs> poor lonely salad. Yes. Uh, and someone brought a um, uh, a big barrel of uh, Uncle Ernie's beaks and claws or oh, Kentucky like fried it. chicken. Love it. The dirty bird. Yeah, it's always a big hit. <laughs> we, you know, uh, I remember as a student, we used to buy. Uh, the Kentucky Fried Chicken. They don't even, do they call it Kentucky Fried Chicken anymore? I don't think so. KFC. It's just KFC, KFC, KFC. right? Right. Uncle Ernie's bur uh, Beaks and Claws. Anyway, we would um, we would set it out on uh, on the ledge, like the window ledge, and we would put, uh, we would place the chicken on paper towels and just let the, uh, the grease kind Why? of soak into the, and then you would eat because that stuff, I mean, even as a kid, I understood that just, it didn't sit well, right? And it just, you might as well just inject it right into your veins, that fat. So we would let it soak into the paper towels and then you eat it the next day. Okay. Well, There's a little tip for all you uh, uh, people out there. Let your KFC soak into the paper towels overnight. Eat it the next day cold. Wonderful. Well, I can tell you my experience. I've never really been a big fan of the Colonel. But uh, I went to my buddy Jimmy's for the Super Bowl one year, and he was jonesing for the Dirty Bird. He asked me, do you want pizza? you want the Colonel? And I said, no, you know, whatever you want, right? He's hosting. You can get what you want. So we got the Dirty Bird. And once I tasted it, I said, you know what? The chicken has nothing to do with it. They could just take the coating and create like a faux drumstick out of the coating that right. would sell just as well. And I find my, I found myself a week afterwards, you know, getting clawed, you know, am I like an addict? I was looking for that coating. 
know, where is the colonel now when I need him? Where is the colonel? Someone told me. Yeah. Someone told me that when when a KFC was sold to Pepsi, they they actually had the, uh, you know, the 11 secret herbs and spices in a briefcase, an attache case handcuffed to, uh, I guess, whoever was you know, making the deal or whatever. And they were, they were actually surrounded by armed guards <laughs> escorting the, That's the, all theater. That's the secret all herbs theater. and spices. Oh, come on. That's all theater. <laughs> These are national Although, state secrets, Lou. The well, 11 yeah. herbs and spices. Hey, you know what? I like, you don't think the communist Chinese want to get their paws on those? Uh, I'm not sure. I know that uh, KFC is very, very, very big in China uh, because it's a uh, preferred easy to manage uh, protein source, right? Chicken. So right, anything right. with chicken, they're all over it. All right. I'll be all over it again at five o'clock with you, my friend. Okay. Happy capitalism. And don't bring a salad. What salads? We are a salad-free zone. <laughs> all right. How bad is Bill C-36, the liberal, liberal government's proposed beefed-up anti-hate speech bill? Independent MP Derek Sloan will be here to tell us. He's coming up in about three minutes. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Bill C-36 will uh, seek to bring back Article 13 of the uh, Charter, which will uh, really expand the uh, anti-hate speech laws. Uh, apply them to uh, online platforms. And uh, as, as uh, True North pointed out on Twitter, actually, I thought that this was uh, very succinct of them, that basically to take the worst aspects of cancel culture and, and place it into law. So let's find out about Bill C-36 with uh, independent MP Derek Sloan representing the writings of uh, Hastings, Lennox and Addington. Derek, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm great, Richard. Thanks for having me today. So uh, uh, Article 13 or, or uh, Section 13, I should say, Section 13, which was uh, we got rid of that back in 2014. But what was Section 13? Yeah, so Section 13 was under the Canadian Human Rights Act. And you'll remember that uh, if you remember uh, a, a little while ago, McLean's, Mark Stein, even Ezra Levant got in trouble for doing different things. Ezra Levant published those Danish car- Mohammed cartoons. Right. And there was a big furor. He got in trouble based off of the Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act. Now, this, what they're bringing back is, is the same idea, but 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 uh, stricter and harsher penalties and easier to sort of uh, get someone under it. Right. And and Mark Stein wrote a piece, as you say, for McLean's. It was uh, I think it was titled the, the Future Belongs to Islam. So in those cases, uh, anything that was perceived as offensive to an identifiable group, not hateful or whatever, you know, whatever that means, even hateful. I mean, that's very difficult to define in, in law, what is hate. But if, if it's simply offensive, someone could have you hauled before a, a human rights tribunal. Yeah. So anybody can make a complaint at any time. And typically it's people that are offended. It's up to the adjudicator at the tribunal to decide if it crosses the line or not. But the issue is, again, defining that. And, and a lot of people that work at these tribunals have their own political biases. They're activist leaning, they're left leaning people. So these are not the type of people I would trust to adjudicate these things. Right. And, and uh, what uh, what are the penalties if you're found guilty by one of these human rights tribunals? 
Yeah, so there's two different things that this bill C-36 can do. If you go before the tribunal, you can get fined $20,000 per victim. So if you said something against Muslims generally, and, and I'm sorry to pick on, I'm not trying to pick on any particular group, but let's say you, you said something about a particular group. Well, that could be a million people in Canada. That could be, you know, a huge number of people. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they define per victim. You also have a generic up to $50,000 fine that the government can tack on to that initial fine if they feel that they want to. So it's very ambiguous. There's another section here. If you want to stop someone that you think might do something but hasn't done anything yet, you can go to, to an actual court. So not the tribunal, a court of law and get a, a basically a peace bond uh, that, that can prevent them from doing any number of things, including drinking alcohol. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure the connection there, but uh, uh, and we can talk about that more if you like. Yes, please. What what does that drinking alcohol? What does that have to do with any of this? Well, you know, it's, it's so this peace bond. So so in the secondary thing there, I said, if you want to go to court to prevent someone who you think might say something hateful online, you can go to a court. And if they agree, they can give a two year recognizance, which could include electronic monitoring, curfews, abstention of alcohol and drugs, te- uh, drug and alcohol testing, uh, no contact with victim, travel restrictions, forced treatment programs, or any other reasonable conditions they choose. And they can also take your guns if you have it. Now, they, you know, this is everything they might do. I'm not saying they would always do it, but I mean, it just boggles the mind that this could be done to someone who hasn't yet said anything uh, uh, hateful online. How could they possibly make that determinate that determination that someone is about to publish something online that they find offensive? I, I really don't know. I mean, it must be linked to, I mean, other things the person has done or said if they've had a history of it. But it just goes to show the difficulty in in determining who exactly to charge and how. And uh, so does this apply only to online or could this be in print? Uh I guess most print now is online, but is it strictly online we're talking about, digital platforms here? Yeah, you know, that's a really good, that's a really good question. Um, I, so the, the, the definition of this bill is to curb online hate speech. So that has been the focus of this. I, I'm not sure if it could be used if you were, you know, publishing a book or something like that. That's a good question. And uh, is it outlined um, in any sort of detail as to what might, what might be considered uh, hate, hate speech. So they've described it in this way, and and uh, and they they describe hate speech as the emotion that involves detestation or vilification, and that is stronger than dislike or disdain, and it excludes private communications in any content or statement that merely discredits, humiliates, or hurts or offends, as opposed to vilifies or detests. So. I can't make heads or tails out of that. Maybe uh, maybe you can. Well, you know, here's the thing. Some people uh, are deserving of vilification, you know, depending on what they've done. Certainly certain political leaders or politicians, present company accepted, of course. Uh, but, you know, it, this is this is absolutely odious. We'll, uh, we'll take a quick time. I'll come back and uh, discuss Bill C-36 further with Derek Sloan, independent MP for Hastings, Lennox and Addington. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's The Richard Serrett Show. 
are back with MP Derek Sloan. Liberal government's Bill C-36 would let the Canadian Human Rights Commission prosecute people for online speech and uh, would also give courts the power to take away liberty over fear someone might commit a hate-motivated offense. Um, so Bill C-36, it, it, it uh, went through first reading, I think, at the, towards the end of June, June 23rd, something like that. Uh, now the, the House is adjourned for the summer. So if uh, after um, there's an election, they'll have to reintroduce it. But if the Liberals get a majority or even a minority, as long as they have the NDP and the Bloc uh, on side and the Green Party, this is likely to pass. Uh, and, 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 and Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, as, as far as I know, has said nothing about this. What's going on? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, they made a big they made a big deal about C-10. I mean, it almost seems like the Conservatives want to make uh, you know, big hay about, you know, made up problems. And I, and I don't want to say C-10 is a made up problem. It's a legitimate uh, issue. C-10 has a legitimate uh, prospect potentially of censorship. C-36 is outright censorship. It's right in our face. So, you know, sometimes it's easier to make uh, a lot of fuss about issues that aren't as, as, as you know, uh, potent. This is the issue to be making a deal about. So I, you know, I don't know what's going on. Right. I mean, that old saying, are you going to die on this hill? Uh, at, at a certain point, yeah, we have to say, yeah, this is the hill that we die on. Would you say that Bill C-36, Derek, is a hill we should die on? Absolutely. Every single uh, you know, uh, uh, tool that is at the disposal of the conservatives and others should be used to combat this bill. So uh, getting back to the Human Rights Commission, how does this work? I know, you know Ezra Levant, that was uh, a much publicized um, situation where he actually brought, I think, cameras in and, and videotaped the proceedings and really, you know, pushed back and pushed back hard and, and uh, ultimately it won. But uh, if you have to defend yourself before one of these human rights commissions, I mean, you're going to be out of pocket, perhaps tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to defend yourself, right? Yes. Yes. So, so the difference between these human rights tribunals and the courts, uh, and, and in, in fact, in this particular case, when Ezra Levant had his issue, he at least knew who was bringing the charge against him. He knew who the complainant was. In this case, the tribunal has the ability to shield the knowledge of who your accuser is from you. So in these tribunals, you can go there, you can win even, but you don't have the ability to get costs. OK, so th- so someone else can make a fallacious claim or a claim that you know drags you through this process but doesn't get anywhere. Nothing can happen to them. In a court of law, if you lose, you can have costs awarded against you and the person who wins can get those costs. In this case, there are no costs. You you may have to pay to defend yourself, but there's no award that comes to you, even if you do clear your name. Well, that just goes against all the major tenets of our, our judicial system, the right to face your accuser, for one. Absolutely. It, it's it's very frightening. These you know tribunals are not they do not have the same protections as a court as a court of law. And yet they can really uh, put you through the ringer. It's going to be an election issue. Well, we'll see. I mean, I I mean, I'm going to be pounding the table on this in my in my own writing and in, in what I'm doing. I don't know what the conservatives will do. I would think they would come out against this at some point. Um, but I guess we'll see. So let me see if we can do it. For instance, here, let's say uh, and I have been on this program critical uh, of transgendered people participating in women's sports, for example, a biological male. We had this case in New Zealand of a uh, biological male, a transgendered person who was uh, awarded a position on a female weightlifting team for the Olympics. If I was being critical of that, would that could that fall under this this legislation, C-36? 
Well, someone could easily complain and you wouldn't know who it is. And the tribunal, the commission could re- could look into it. They might notify you that they're looking into it. So you could be, you know, put on put on edge or whatever for a period of time. Um, as it stands right now, I don't think just doing that would necessarily get you fined. But that's the whole thing with this. You never know. And, you know, the 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 average person on the the average trans activist on the street might say, yes, what you're saying is definitely hate speech. And that kind of thinking is permeating more and more the tribunals and even our court system. So as of today, no, I, I, I don't think so. But but you might, depending on how you say it. And that's the problem. It's not about ideas. It's about even how you say it. And that, I think, is the major issue. Is truth a defense, Derek? If what I'm saying is true, is that a defense? Well, I'm not even sure. If you look at criminal hate speech, which is is connected to this to some degree, so the criminal code aspects of this are connected to the criminal code definition of hate speech. Truth is a defense in the criminal code hate speech laws. With respect to these complaints before the commission, I'm frankly not even sure. And 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 even the truth defense in the in the Canadian code. Uh, 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 criminal, criminal hate speech there um, has not uh, necessarily uh, been used uh, to the to the fullness that you might think in, in examining some of the cases. It's absolutely appalling. Uh, I'd like to say that this is unimaginable, except, you know, <laughs> here we are in 2021. Uh, nothing, uh, it seems, is beyond the realm of possibility. So uh, we'll we'll watch with interest. Ho- hopefully this will be a, a major campaign issue. And uh, let's hope the conservatives push back and let's hope the Canadians are paying very close attention because this is a hill to die on. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for your time as usual. Glad to be here. Thank you. I'm T. Derek Sloan. All right. When we come back, we push back against climate change alarmism while we still can. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Hey, Richard Serrett here, along with Dr. Cass Ingram, author of 30 books on natural healing. Cass, let's talk about a product my family and I have been using for years, the Oregano P73 for immune support. That's a good one. That's going to be mountain-grown wild oregano up to 12,000 feet, then extracting that with steam. And that's the most powerful germ killer known in immune support. So if there's one thing you got to do, it's the Oregano P73, and boom, you get the benefits. And what are some of the benefits? Well, you've got the bacteria, viruses, parasites, and fungus knock those down. Immune system, white blood cells, more active. And you can take this every day just so you don't get sick. Why not? One product, one big benefit. Thanks, Cass. North American Urban Spice Oregano P73, available in local health food stores across the GTA. Or you can order online at oregano.com. That's O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. O-R-E-G-A-N-O-L. Oregano.com. All right. On Wednesdays, we push back against climate change alarmism, not just climate change alarmism, but also things like the New Green Deal and uh, radical uh, environmentalism that that doesn't make sense. Uh, that isn't rooted in common sense. We all want to be good stewards of our planet. We all want to be good environmentalists. But let's face it, uh, some of the ideas that that come out of uh, the uh, the green movement are just absolutely idiotic. And uh, Tony Heller uh, joins us every Wednesday. Uh, we're getting him on a little earlier this uh, this day because we so much to discuss. Tony is the uh, founder of RealClimateScience.com. Hey, Tony, how are you? 
I'm good, Richard. How about yourself? Very well. I wanted to, this is an interesting story, and I, you posted it on your, your website, realclimatescience.com. This is a landmark legal case that's been launched against the world's largest tech, tech companies, uh, including Microsoft and Tesla, of course, manufacturer of electric cars. And uh, this is kind of a, um, a, um, uh, a civil suit launched by Congolese families. Uh, who say their children were killed or injured while mining for cobalt, uh, which is used, of course, to power smartphones, laptops, and electric cars. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, the, the stuff which we call green energy actually has a lot of very high environmental and social costs. We're putting up these wind farms everywhere, which are destroying the raptor population. They occupy huge areas of land. You know, there's lots of nasty mining um, and other issues with solar panels and batteries. In order that they want to make all the world's cars run off batteries, there's huge environmental and social problems associated with it. Like in Africa, the cobalt that's being used for these batteries is largely mined by children who are essentially slaves. So you have all these Western liberals who imagine that they're being socially conscious by buying an electric car when, in fact, they're contributing to modern-day slavery in Africa among children. So it's a pretty horrific story. And they don't deny that they're doing this either, but by pushing this whole climate change scam, they're able to justify essentially anything. Um, you know, the uh, Voltaire said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. So there's all sorts of atrocities going on in the name of this imaginary climate change. So if you buy an electric car uh, from Tesla, what are the odds that the, the cobalt in, I guess, in the battery was, was mined by basically a child slave? Well, Tesla claims that they've cleaned up their act and they're not doing it anymore. But who knows where, you know, there's lots of other stuff going on with their batteries. They're, they're, the batteries on a Tesla weigh about 1,000 pounds. They have all kinds of nasty chemicals in them. You know, it, it would be very interesting to go in and trace all of the different environmental social, and social issues associated with it. And then all these nasty chemicals, if you have, you know, Billions of cars around the world running off these batteries. Besides all the mining, what about the waste disposal? How do they get rid of this stuff? So there's, you know, there's a Pandora's box of environmental and social issues associated with these electric cars, which the media won't allow us to have a discussion about. You know, it, it's a religion. You know, gasoline powered vehicles are bad. Electric cars are good and and we're not we aren't allowed to have a discussion about it about what the real environmental and social costs are any thoughts on how successful uh this lawsuit may be um you know everything that's related to green energy gets buried right people get bought off um, well look at the audubon society these wind turbines are you're decimating raptor populations, and the wind companies bought out the Audubon Society silence. 
Um, you know, they, they should be screaming about this, but they remain almost completely silent because they're getting a lot of money from the green energy companies. Right, right. But so, here we have we have children in the Congo in Africa being forced to to mine cobalt for electric cars and yeah. smartphones. It's absolutely unconscionable. We'll uh, take a quick time out, Tony, come back and uh, discuss some other items, including a new study which claims warmer temperatures are causing male dragonflies to lose their wing patterns. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, Wednesdays, we push back against climate change alarmism. I get emails, lots of emails from people saying, why do you have Tony Heller on? Why don't you have Dr. David Suzuki on? Uh, because this is called equal time. You can tune on, you can turn on any radio station, any TV station, pick up any publication, go online and, and get a belly full of climate change alarmism, the official, the official narrative, right? Uh, but you don't get to hear the other side practically ever. Uh, you know, they're, they're labeled deniers and they are not given a platform. So what I'm doing is called equal time. I don't need to hear from the others anymore. I've heard it all. Ad nauseum. Uh, Tony Heller is the founder of RealClimateScience.com. He's a geologist and an environmentalist. Yes, you can be an environmentalist and, uh, and not subscribe to man-made global warming. All right, Tony, interesting uh, study here, I suppose. Um, they're saying that as the planet warms, male dragonflies are losing a crucial feature they typically use to attract female mates, the ornate black patterns on their wings. So so uh, what does this all mean? Well, there's so many things wrong with the story um, that I'm probably going to make a 10-minute video this evening about it. Um, but the, the first problem is that it's probably not true. I'm, I'm a nature photographer. I've been photographing dragonflies for many years. I, I don't see any indication that it's true. But even if it was, they, had, they haven't provided any evidence that it has anything to do with global warming. I mean, it's just they say, they say something's happening and we blame everything on global warming, so we're going to blame this on global warming, too, with, without any actual basis. But if you look at the – it's easy to prove that this story is not true, though. Dragonflies have been around on Earth for about 300 million years, and for almost all of that time – carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere and temperatures were much higher. For almost the, all of the last 300 million years, there was about 10 degrees Celsius warmer than it is now. And dragonflies thrived. In fact, 250 million years ago, there were gigantic dragonflies that weighed as much as crows do. Oh, my. Um, and, and, and these these dragonflies, the reason that they were able to grow so large was because there was huge amounts of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which led to very luxuriant plant growth, which is where our coal, our current coal beds came from. These, these trees and these very luxuriant forests fell down into swamps, turned into peat, and then they turned into coal. So there was a lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and there was a lot of vegetation. And what when you have a lot of vegetation, you get a lot of oxygen in the atmosphere because oxygen comes from plants. That's what that's what plants respirate out. So there was a lot of oxygen in the atmosphere 250 million years ago, 
And it, insects don't have any lungs. They just absorb oxygen through their skin. And so because there was so much oxygen in the atmosphere and it was so warm, the, these giant dragonflies were able to grow and thrive. And they couldn't exist now because there's not enough oxygen in the atmosphere. The reason there's not enough oxygen in the atmosphere anymore is because you don't have as many plants. The reason you don't have as many plants is because carbon dioxide levels are much lower. So the whole story is completely bogus. We, we know from geologic history and the fossil record that dragonflies have done extremely well at much higher temperatures and much higher levels of carbon dioxide. So it's a dead issue to begin with. But if you look at other things, like dragonflies live in a very wide range of climates, um, you know, with tens of degrees Celsius difference in their range. And and where this global warming, where most of the claimed global warming has occurred, has been in, during Arctic winters. You know, probably 80% of the warming they claim, they're claiming for the Earth is in the Arctic and during the winter. There's no dragonflies there, <laughs> right? Excellent point, yes. So, it's, so the, the, the whole story is completely fake. And, and what's really disturbing to me is that they can make up these fake stories and the press will just pick up with them and run with them, you know, blindly without doing any fact checking, without getting any dissenting opinions. And and that's all the public hears, is, you know, a story that's fake from one end to the other. And what about the, this other story I sent you uh, that is claiming that uh, certain bird species or many bird species and animal species are getting smaller as the planet warms up? Yeah, like, well, where are the where do the largest animals live? Like elephants and giraffes, rhinoceroses. They live in a very hot climates in Africa. You know, it's, once again, this story is total nonsense. You know, generally smaller animals live in colder climates, and larger animals live in warmer climates. Um, dinosaurs were gigantic, and they lived in an extremely warm climate. You know, again, they're just making stuff up. You know, suppose maybe there is a trend that animals are getting smaller, but if it is, it's not due to climate change. You know, it's due to something else. It's this whole thing of we think we've observed something which may or may not be true, but we're just going to blame it on climate change because we know we can get away with it and we blame everything else on climate change and we know it'll bring funding and attention in if we, if we do. All right. Now, Tony, last uh, order of business. I know I didn't send you this story, but I, I, I can't resist. Uh, you know, what what has happened to the once venerable National Geographic magazine? They recently tweeted out something over the July 4th weekend suggesting that smoke from fireworks causes disproportionate harm to communities of color. What the heck are they on about? Yeah, you know, I loved National Geographic when I was a kid. Um, but now, you know, it's, they, they, they just pump out you know, all sorts of, all sorts of woke propaganda. You know, I've been documenting all of their junk science about, um, climate for, you know, for 13 years. You know, they, they predict, they, they've made one ridiculous prediction after another and one ridiculous attribution. And, you know, they're, they're probably getting paid off by the same people who are paying off the press and academia and everyone else. Yeah, it's sad. It, it's sad it, to it, see. It, 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 yeah, it was, it was yeah, once a, 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 
Yeah, it was a it was a, yeah. a, a, a respected uh, publication, and uh, like you, I, I enjoyed it immensely over the years. However, uh, another victim of a woke culture. Tony, uh, again, thank you. The uh, the website, realclimatescience.com, realclimatescience.com, and that video you're going to make on dragonflies, we can find that on YouTube, right, under Tony Heller. That's correct, yes. All right, we'll talk again next week, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Richard. All right, Tower 208, stay with us. More blue, German word of the day, and uh, the CEO of Carnivore Trader. Back with more. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Hey, Richard! Hello, yes. Can I help you? Richard! The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. What would you do for a Klondike bar? We're talking about chocolate-coated and ice cream-loaded. It's the most highly respected, talented, tremendous ice cream sandwich, quite frankly, better than the world ever thought possible. And we asked the vice president, she's a disgrace, Kamala. We asked her what she would do for a Klondike bar. She said, I would even go down to the southern border for a Klondike bar. That's a big step because she's never been there, not even one time. Anthony Fauci, we asked him, we said, what would you do? He said, I would take off both of my masks and never wear them again for a Klondike bar. Believe it or not, he'd do that for a Klondike bar. And Creepy Joe, he said he would stop sniffing hair for a Klondike bar. So we are going to take back our country one Klondike bar at a time and make America great again. Believe me. <laughs> One Klondike bar at a time. All right, welcome to hour two of Radio Free Canada and the Richard Serrett Show. Coming up a little bit later, uh, we'll talk about the uh, the spate of uh, arson attacks against Christian churches. Uh, there were ten in on Canada Day alone, and some see this as uh, you know payback for. Uh, the treatment, uh, the horrible treatment, obviously, of uh, indigenous people uh, in Canada and the uh, the discovery of these unmarked graves near residential schools over the last several months. Of course, there will be more of those discoveries. Uh, but is this the way that we achieve reconciliation with our uh, First Nations brothers and sisters? Uh, we'll, uh, we'll speak with uh, someone from the McDonald Laurier Institute uh, about that. Uh, actually, Melissa Mbarki, Mbarki uh, wrote a, a wonderful piece in the National Post about uh, this very issue. And then Dutch Masters, not his real name, I'm guessing, the CEO of Carnivore Traders, uh, a secret society of anti-Wall Street t- traders that's taking on the uh, the big bank analysts and, be- and beating the, uh, the hell out of them, I guess. And uh, um, we'll, uh, we'll, he's in our feature guest slot today. Before we get to all of that, News not in the news. The news. All right, Lou. Let's get to the uh, the German word of the day. Okay, so run out of time. Yes. when you sent it to me, yes, to look at, I said I want to see how you're going to spit that one out because <laughs> there had to be thirty letters in that word. Oh, you wait. I'll show you how I'm going to do this, Lou. But you're right. It is, I believe, I, I looked this up. It's the second longest 
German word in their language. Okay. All right? Okay, so let's have a little uh, oompa music here before I, I have to step back to the microphone and loosen my embouchure uh, to get my, uh, my, my lips around this word. Here we go. Are you ready, Lou? Kraftfahrzeughaftpflichtversicherung. Kraftfahrzeughaftpflichtversicherung. Who do you think? Not bad, eh? Well, it's not you. Oh, come on. Don't help me like that on the radio. Well, I know your voice <laughs> after 18 years, and I can say when I saw it, I said, uh, I don't know how he's going to do it. So basically, you fouled it off. That's it. I did. Let's hear it again. Kraftfahrzeughaftpflichtversicherung. One more wow, time. That's a mouthful. One more time. Kraftfahrzeughaftpflichtversicherung. Yeah. I think yeah. you're good. You're just not good enough for that one. No, sir. No. I had to hire a professional. <laughs> I had to bring in the heavy artillery for that one. Maybe I shouldn't mention Germans and heavy artillery in the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, so what does it mean, Baruch Papu? Does it even matter at this point? It's just well, I think, you know, you got to give people a chance That's to true. realize it's the lo second longest word in the German language. It, what are they trying to express? Automobile liability insurance. <laughs> All in one word? Couldn't break that up a little bit? <laughs> one more time, Jody. Kraftfahrzeughaftpflichtversicherung. Yeah, I think we're going to have to get uh, like a celebrity German word of the day pronouncer. You imagine having to call the uh, your, your your auto insurance and having to say that it would take you like <laughs> that conversation would take three hours. One more time. Kraftfahrzeughaftpflichtversicherung. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of words for a small concept, but. You know, we use smaller words, right? When people in the English language use long words, you know, they're accused of being, oh, you're so elitist, right? That's right. That's right. Well, there you go. Automobile liability insurance. <laughs> in one word. One more time, Jody. Kraftfahrzeughaftpflichtversicherung. <laughs> it just trips off the tongue, doesn't yeah, it? Doesn't it just it? rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Now, incidentally, that little comment I made about German artillery, that, that could probably land me uh, in front of a human rights tribunal if, B, if Bill C-36 passes. So I well, just got that. It's likely, you know, I mean, you got to recognize, Richard, you know, in, in the conversations that we've had over the last while, you know, it's become very evident to me that we live in a one-party totalitarian dictatorship. The liberals have been running this country for the better part of the last century and a big hunk of this century. And you can't ignore that. And as we go into an election cycle, unless uh, the voters in Ontario, Quebec and the Maritimes uh, recognize that uh, they could be losing what they believe to be the values of their country, um, we're doomed. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm looking at it and I'm not really happy about it. And, well, um, you know, you and I talk and, and sometimes you'll say, well, is that a hill? We, we know this expression. Is that a hill you want to die on? Right. Because we can't we can't fight all our battles. We have to pick and choose our battles. But is this is this a hill that we we die on? Bill C-36. I think it well, has to be. 
Well, I think we need to continue to uh, at least inform listeners. You know, when you were talking about church burnings, you know, uh, some people want you to believe that it's the uh, paybacks from the indigenous community for the outrage that they feel against the government and the churches because of the residential school and the unmarked graves. My question, because I'm a bit of a skeptic, is who really benefits from all that? Well, exactly. Exactly. Right. I don't believe it's the indigenous communities. I think it's all ginned up, to be honest with you. No investigation, no information. And I'm sure, uh, you know, there'll just be another study in white paper, you know, and the sure sign that you're going to get an election in Canada. Guess what? We're going to get a high speed rail from Quebec to Windsor. Oh, my wow. God. I've, I've only heard that for 40 plus years. Well, this is not a high speed rail. They're calling it a high frequency rail. So in other words, it's not going to be one of those, you know, bullet trains like you have in Japan. They're going to build their own tracks instead of, uh, I guess, um, what do they normally use? Like the CN tracks, right? They share the CN tracks right, or the CP freight, tracks. Right. right. Ra- so they have to share those. Passenger. Right. Yeah. So so they'll build a, like a parallel track so they don't have to slow down for the freight train. So it's going to improve. Let's say you're going from Toronto to Ottawa. It'll it'll improve uh, your ETA by about 20 percent. That's it. Yeah. Well, what I'm going to say is balderdash to all of it because they're not going to build anything in my lifetime or your lifetime or your children's lifetime. They're going to talk about it every four years or whenever an election is going to come. Hey, we're going to do this special thing. No, you're not. You're liars and you're continuing to lie. Exactly. And what are the, this is a four billion dollar price tag uh, to build oh, these parallel tracks. Triple right. It. Exactly. Triple it. Triple it. Triple it. But they, and that, they, that's only an estimate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're right, though. They, they bribe us with our own money. Nothing gets done. And like in terms of infrastructure, we are just we are so behind uh, the curve in this country. Like, you know, this country was built with on the rail uh, and, and we just don't we don't have we don't have the infrastructure here. We should have had high speed trains up and down the, the Windsor to Montreal corridor like 25, 30 years ago. Well, I mean, you may think that's the curve, but I think if you look at the uh, Japanese model with uh, high speed trains, right, bullet trains. Right. The maglev build, trains. Yeah. Right. The, they build a line and then they shoot spurs off it in order to open up developable land. I remember the first time I was going up uh, towards Blue Mountain and I was drooling saying, oh, look at all this developable land here. If only we could get people there in a reasonable amount of time. Right. So imagine if you build a spur, sorry, a main line, a, a bullet train, let's say from, I don't know, not Montreal. Why bother? Right. You can do it uh, easily enough in an aircraft. But say you were just using it to open up developable land in Ontario. If you built a line, a spur, a high speed train up to Blue Mountain and back and you could do that commute in 40 minutes. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. 
Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Would you live up there? Of course. Of yeah, course. Of course. Yeah. So forget about this city to city to city. Oh, my God. Everybody wants to go to Quebec. No, they don't. Okay. If you build a, a line across east to west, across the GTA, you can go to Windsor if you want. Who wants to go to Windsor, really? Right. Like, let's do You're just endearing yourselves to our, our uh, listeners in Montreal and Windsor. Well, you know what? I don't think we have any listeners there so they can kiss my big red Royal Canadian. Right. I'm saying if you build it from Oshawa to right. Hamilton as the main line and then spurs north. Oh, I get it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah well, they're talking about housing shortages. It's not just about, you know, building more affordable housing. As you say, you got to have the infrastructure to get people to where the housing is cheaper. That's right. a good well, start. Or you just, you know, get the politicians out of the way. When you talk to people in the home building industry in Ontario, they'll tell you the biggest uh, the biggest barrier to home ownership is government. Right. They, they just, you know, the land transfer tax and this tax and that tax. It just comes to the bottom line where they add another seventy five to eighty thousand dollars to the average home. That's a lot of money. Indeed, sir. All right. We will chat again tomorrow. Have Can't a good wait. One. Can't wait. And don't bring any salads to any events, your, uh, you know, potlucks and stuff. The pizza was a great idea. This is a salad-free zone. That's why I'm having the CEO of Carnivore Trading coming up a little bit next, later. I'm going to be listening. Happy capitalism. All right, Lou. Thank you. When we come back, Melissa Embarkey, policy analyst, outreach coordinator at the McDonald Laurier Institute, will talk about uh, this recent rash of church burnings and how that's no way to achieve reconciliation. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. In a very poignant piece in the National Post, Melissa Embarkey, policy analyst with the uh, McDonald Laurier Institute, wrote, as I witnessed both Indigenous and non-Indigenous Canadians wearing orange shirts on Canada Day, I felt a sense of unity I've never before experienced in my lifetime and pride that our voices are finally being heard. The day after Canada Day, burned churches and toppled statues made the headlines. How did a movement that was intended to bring awareness and education suddenly turn violent? The unity I had felt the day before was diminished by these acts. I felt sadness and anger at what, what, what was happening. In our traditional ways, we respect all religions. We do not promote hatred, vandalism, or the destruction of anyone's place of worship. Melissa, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. So um, your, your, um, your feelings about the damage that has been done to reconciliation efforts, just um, if you could maybe expand on, on I just sort of uh, very quickly from the National Post article, but, but how much damage has been done, do you think, by these 
uh, by these uh, arson attacks? I think it it pushed us uh, it, many steps back. You know, we were starting to tell our stories. We were starting to get out there and have, you know, survivors heard. And just as this was happening, um, then the vandalism started and the burning of churches started. And you could see anger from both sides. And, you know, it, it just raised tensions when the whole purpose of bringing awareness was to bring reconciliation and to bring peace and to bring uh, unity amongst everyone so we can find solutions on going forward. I feel it put us, it, it definitely put us back. And I just don't know how we're going to move forward from this because on top of residential schools, now we're dealing with burnt churches when that wasn't the whole point of bringing these stories out. So it's, it's really disappointing. We don't know who's responsible, uh, and I, I don't know where these investigations are at this point. But I, for me anyway, I, I mean, I, I don't know that, that it was an Indigenous person responsible for any of these. My, my gut tells me that this is, as is often the case, uh, we, ha- we have this sort of, I'm going to call it liberal guilt, um, and that it is uh, misdirected in these situations. For example, the people that were, were uh, you know, toppling these statues and defacing uh, statues just in this mindless uh, manner with no sort of forethought or understanding of what they were doing. And that's no excuse. I'm just suggesting that it was very, uh, very thoughtless. And, and I don't know, do you have a sense of, of who might be behind this and what their motivation is? It- I mean, it could be it could be anybody. Um, you know, we won't know 100 percent until these investigations are complete, um, you know, but just within the last week, you know, there was a non-Indigenous person ar- arrested for starting uh, fires on a First Nations community. So, you know, there's stories like this that are starting to come to light. And I it doesn't matter who it's coming from. You know, it just needs to stop. We need to we need to figure out how we're going to move forward because there were 139 residential schools in total in Canada, and we've just gotten through two. We have 137 left to go, and you know if this is how it's going to be going forward, you know we need to figure out as citizens, as Canadians, what's going to work for this because we're, we might hear stories of of more numbers. There might be more than 470. So 751 found. So we need to figure out how we're going to move forward from this. You think this is going to escalate? I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, like you said before, there's a lot of misdirected anger, you know, and, and if you're just going off from what you see in the media, you know, lately we've been seeing a lot of fingers pointed at the church, you know, so of course that's where your anger is going to go. But if people actually kind of looked at the history of residential schools, the federal government played a major role in this and they need to take responsibility as well, as opposed to deflecting blame. You know, all parties need to come together on this. And until we get there, these issues aren't going to be resolved. Uh, A a quick thought on the nomination of Inuk leader Mary Simon as uh, Canada's first Indigenous governor general. I, um, you know, I always appreciate when I see an Indigenous woman, uh, Indigenous woman appointed to positions like this, because 
it gives me hope for our generation coming up. It gives me um, hope that there's going to be change. And, you know, we always start off with optimism, but, you know, we kind of have to see how this all plays out. And right now, you know, it's looking like a political appointment, um, you know, and it's, we, we just kind of have to move past that bias and see the kind of work that she can do for Canada. Right, right. I mean, putting her, you know, qualifications uh, aside, this is, uh, could be viewed by by many as simple, you know, uh, sort of an empty gesture, just as you say, political symbolism, but not something that's substantially going to improve either reconciliation efforts or the, the plight of, of many Indigenous people across the country. Exactly. I mean, we just, I mean, there have been previous governor generals where we thought, oh, this is, you know, this is going to be a turning point and it ended up not being that. So, you know, we always have optimism. And, you know, if we're asking as an Indigenous community to have more representation, well, this might be a start, you know, and, and we could see how this goes. All right, Melissa, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Melissa Embarkey, policy analyst for the McDonald Laurier Institute and a member of the Muskowaquan First Nation. Uh, back with Dutch Masters, CEO of Carnivore Traders, when the Richard Serrett Show continues. The Bull Session continues on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Let me just crib here from a publication called American Thinker. An army of Davids takes on Wall Street. Wall Street trading will never be the same again. This thing they call the meme stocks, the Reddit army, the Robin Hood traders, it's not a fad. It's, it's real. And it has only just begun to change Wall Street forever. Well, what's changed? What is uh, What is the meme revolution? Let's find out. We're about to meet the uh, CEO of Carnivore Traders, a secret society of anti-Wall Street traders taking on the big bank analysts and uh, beating the hell out of them by all accounts. Dutch Masters, uh, well, we're waiting for Dutch Masters. <laughs> all right, Dutch Masters is supposed to join us. He's the uh, the CEO of Carnivore Traders and uh, we hope he'll join us uh, shortly. But uh, so what has happened uh, in the last few years the, this friction, they say, that used to benefit the powerful in the system of trading stocks, it's been eliminated. And on top of that, social media has become uh, widely adopted and used by, uh, well, just millions and millions of people around the world. They say that this has changed things uh, and it requires us to look at the way things were to uh, uh, the way things were to understand the magnitude of this shift and what it means for the future. So, you know, historically, I don't know a lot about uh, the stock market. Uh, I've got my little Quest Trade account. But, you know, typically you had to, to, to meet a broker. You had to fill out a stack of paperwork and then you had to get it approved. Um, your broker had to get it approved back at his office. And then you had to find the uh, or fund the account with a check. Uh, it had to be cleared. And then you then you could start trading. And, and that could take like a week or maybe longer. You had to pay a commission on both the uh, the buy and the sell. And um, as an individual, you know, that's kind of a, that's a, a negative start to your trade. So you were immediately behind, right? And unprofitable. And then in addition, you, you were required to buy what they called a round lot, which was 100 shares. You couldn't buy, you know, three shares or 
a portion of a share. You had to buy in round numbers, 100 shares. That was the minimum that was required by, by Wall Street. Buying 100 shares, let's say, at $25 a stock, that's a $2,500 investment. And you were charged around $2,650 uh, $2, because of commissions, right? So there you're down another 6% immediately on the trade. In order to break even then, think about it. An individual investor would have to make around 12% on that trade because another commission would be charged when you sold the stock. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. So can you see how the system put the small investor at a huge disadvantage? So a large player, a large player only had to make a fraction of a percent to pay for his commission. And that's why the institutions and the, uh, the big investors uh, ruled the markets. And uh, the little guy, like us, we were shut out. So this hurdle uh, made the individual investors stay in a trade longer just to get profit territory. And so we traded less often. And uh, we were often you know, priced out of buying stocks such as uh, Amazon, um, you know, which have stock prices of over $3,000, over $700 per share. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. So again, when you had to buy a round lot of Amazon, be like $70,000 just for that one position if you had to buy 100 shares. Most of us, we just don't have that kind of money to trade in a single stock. So now we have, of course, fractional share ownership. Anyone can buy just a slice of Amazon with as little as $50. And the, uh, the fractional ownership, which only just came uh, on the scene in the last few years, that solved the, the round lot problem and made it a term that we may never, we may never hear about 
uh, again. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll take a quick time out. We'll be joined by Dutch Masters, CEO of Carnivore Traders. Stay with us. Just having a little chinwag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. All right. We're being told that there is an army of Davids taking on the Goliaths of Wall Street. Dutch Masters is CEO of Carnivore Traders, a secret society of anti-Wall Street traders taking on the big bank analysts and beating the hell out of them. Hey, Dutch, welcome to the program. How are you? Oh, I think Dutch is just joining us. There he is. We have Dutch. Dutch Masters. We don't have Dutch. I see he's trying to connect. I see he's trying to connect. Yes. There we go. There we go. We got you, Dutch. So you're not like one of these, you know, the big Goliaths on Wall Street with the, uh, the, the possibly high-speed internet. You're, uh, you know, you're the Davids, right? Yeah, we're part of that crew. Or you got it. All right. So uh, just tell me a little bit about uh, Carnivore Traders. I'm, I'm first of all, I'm guessing Master is not your real name. No. <clears throat> nope, nope. We're all very, uh, we're all very under underground. I mean, we're real guys who really spent time on Wall Street, and uh, I had, you know, thirty years of my other traders. Uh, Trader Z is about forty-two years old. He's been on the street since he was twenty. Um, Donk has been on the street for thirty years, and we were all at major Wall Street firms. And traders, uh, Trader Z, uh, why the need for anonymity? You know, we don't want to be famous. We're, we're the last guys who want to be famous. And I'll tell you, we're calling out Wall Street. That's calling out some pretty powerful guys. And we're basically telling the world exactly what we think uh, in good or bad of what's gone on for the last 30 years. And, and you know, we just would rather not put ourselves right out there for someone to take a shot at us. Understood. So explain to me, because I'm a simple man and I'm not that well versed in, in the stock market. I have my little quest trade account, uh, but what is a meme stock revolution? Well, what we saw happen here with wall street bets on Reddit was, you know, a few hundred guys turned into 10 million guys and they are, if you think about it, um, the largest distributed hedge fund in the world. So most hedge funds are run by, you know, one or two guys that are at the head and they're traders. And so they take positions and do what they want to do. Uh, and they may be running, you know, a billion, 20 billion, a hundred billion, who knows how much, you know, not, not much more than that. I mean, a hundred billion dollar, two hundred billion dollar fund is a pretty darn big fund. But if you add up five hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, three thousand dollars, or five thousand dollars times ten million people, you now have a very large fund. Now they don't all move in concert, and they don't all move totally together. But when they move in a somewhat even sort of constant uh, in concert a little bit. That's a huge amount of capital flowing at one thing. And so the revolution is the further democratization of Wall Street. The democratization of Wall Street came about here in the last few years with zero commission trading and fractional share ownership. I think I heard you talking about that earlier. Yes. 
you can buy 50 bucks worth of Amazon. That's a $3,700 stock. Hey man, that's cool. That's fantastic. What does Wall Street want? They want more people trading. They want more trades. The more trades, the more volume, the more activity, the more money they can make. So they asked for this. They asked for this to happen by getting rid of the friction in the system with commissions and for allowing for fractional share trading. And what they've discovered is that, wow, 10 million guys with a couple thousand bucks each, they can move a stock. And they kind of went into an area uh, that they didn't expect them to. So uh, how has, um, or how does Carnival um, make their money? Because you don't, you don't charge commission. Um, you don't, you don't actually do the trade on people's behalf. How do you right. make your money? We don't, uh, the simple answer is we charge a monthly fee for you to see exactly what we're trading in our carnivore portfolio. And we do it live and we do it real time. And we do both the buy and the sell time, uh, the sell side on every single trade. And at the end of each day, you get the world famous uh, carnivore market wrap up. And uh, we named it that when we had like 40 guys. And so we thought it was kind of funny to call it world famous, but now it is uh, all over the world. And we've got people all over the world that are subscribers and followers of carnivore. So that's all. We don't take advertising money. We don't take, uh, we don't hold people's assets. We have no custody of assets. We don't get paid for promoting a stock uh, from investor relations people. We're very, very pure. And it's 100% subscriber, monthly fee, that's it. And you're not day traders. I mean, you how long do you hold a position? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, no, we do high quality stocks uh, for high quality traders. We do institutional grade stocks. Our trading generally is anywhere from seven day holds to 30 day holds. Uh, the way I would look at it is that we're a little bit more like a uh, short to intermediate term swing trader. Uh, we find certain patterns that we like in high quality stocks and those setups that we're looking for give us a risk reward that we're looking for, like a three to one type of a payoff. I think our most recent, uh, you know, big swing that we hit out of the park was we bought NVIDIA at $617 a share and we started selling it probably 130 points up and we've still got some of it, but we've been selling off a little, but it's still a, a sort of a top 10 position in the portfolio. We also don't hold, you know, 50 or 60 stocks either. We, we're down to about 18 uh, in, our, in our total portfolio. Today. All right, Dutch, uh, we're going to take a quick time out, stay put, and we'll uh, come back in a moment and continue to discuss Carnivore Traders, a secret society of anti-Wall Street traders taking on the big bank analysts and beating the hell out of them. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. Carnivore Traders are a group of experienced traders who had long careers on Wall Street. Some of them are still there, secretly, silently sharing information and trades with anonymous personality goes by the name of Dutch. 
So what are some of the big lies uh, of Wall Street that you are expecting? Well, I think one of them is that uh, getting a 4 to 7% return each year is a good return. Uh, when we were on the street, uh, we were taught by some of the greatest traders known to, uh, to the street, uh, Ace Greenberg being one of them, uh, at Bear Stearns. And uh, these guys, you know, 7% is what they wanted to earn in a month. And so uh, right now, Carnivore's portfolio is up around 220% year to date. Uh, last month, we were up 60%. It was our best month uh, potentially ever since, uh, well, 2020, we had some pretty big months. Uh, and this month, uh, we took our last month, we had our, we have a needle that basically shows how bullish we are. We call it our bull bear gauge. And we were 100% bull in May, 100% bull in, uh, I'm sorry, 88% bull in June. And we took that down on the last day of June to about 60. And it looks like we were right because we're really having a tough run here the first uh, few trading days of the month of July. All right. Uh, so my uh, my stock analyst, a technical analyst friend, Lou Skeezus, wanted me to ask you this, and I don't really understand what, what it means, but what is your history against benchmarks? Well, we don't benchmark to anything really other than the S&P 500. So uh last year uh in 2020 our numbers were so large that we actually had to take them down because nobody believed them um and this year like i say i think uh, as of today um this year year to date i think we're up around 223 percent something like that for year to date so far this month i think we're off about 10 percent from that high um but uh, we were up 200 and what 250 uh, percent through the end of June, and now we're up 220 or so. So we, we've we've had a we've had a tough uh, beginning to July, uh, but the market I think the indexes that people are looking at what we're seeing is that the indexes are masking a lot of the damage that's taking place underneath it. We call it erosion. So if you're in Amazon or Google or Apple you're doing fine, but that's where all the money is flowing right now. And the other stocks are not benefiting. How are you finding your, your, your little, uh, your little gem, your diamonds in the rough companies? So we, we go after, um, usually larger mid to large cap stocks. We're looking for growth. We're looking for a lot of growth and we're looking for high margins. We believe that, you know, that, generally at the end of the day wins. We also look for relative strength. So we're trying to make sure that we're in the sectors and that are doing well. And we're also looking for the better stocks in those sectors. We have two systems that we use. One is called Vector Nostradamus. That's a system that Trader Z built and designed himself. And he is, in my opinion, the greatest living trader alive today. We have another system called Byte, uh, B-I-T-E, and Byte is um, a unique system that I built. Uh, it gives us not only a price target, uh, but also a time frame for that target. And that's fairly unique uh, because it, it, it's, it's something that we don't just say, oh, by the end of the year, it should be around here like most Wall Street analysts. We give you a precise date. The other thing that it finds, which is really 
uh, interesting is it, it, it finds what we call a resolution date and a resolution price. So sometime in the future, there will be a date and a price for that stock. And if on that date, the stock is at or above that price, then the probabilities we believe are quite high that it will move to the target. And what we find with our setups is something that we call jumping the Taurus. Some people call it a gap up. Usually right around that resolution date, these stocks will make a decision, let's say. They're gonna decide whether to jump towards the target or not. Sometimes they don't, uh, but when they do, they do it in a fairly explosive manner. And that's what a lot of people subscribe to us for is they try to triangulate that, uh, that date. And some people use us to buy options, but a lot of, we, we don't, we don't recommend options to anybody. We just, we just trade stocks. That's it. We don't trade any currencies or, or Bitcoin or anything like that. Just high quality stocks. Right. I know that for a while you were very bullish on marine shipping. Uh, yes. What other spaces are, are you excited about right now? Well, I'll tell you right now, uh, the only things that are working in our, the only thing that is working right now at this moment is the mega cap stocks, the mega cap tech stocks. Um, we like oil um, and we like it because we believe that, you know, Trader Z, when oil was at $55 a barrel, he said, Dutch, this, this is going to 100 and a lot of people were like, nah, it's not doing that. But it has steadily moved up to the 70, 75 area. And we still believe that the dynamics are in place for that to, to, to go to 100. And so we like the oil and the oil services space. Uh, the stocks have not really responded the way I'd like to see them. But we do have three out of 18 in the portfolio that we're long. And, and we're holding on to them, even though we're off slightly right now. How do we become carnivores, Dutch? So going to carnivoretrading.com, you get a 14-day free trial, and you just uh, sign up for 14 days. What we kind of what we kind of figure is that after 14 days of seeing the trades and reading the market wrap at the end of each day, you will really uh, understand uh, sort of who we are, what we're all about. And, and you'll start to either be a believer or not. And, and frankly, uh, it's been pretty exciting. We really launched in earnest after a year of beta testing. We really launched this in January, February of this year. And we now have, like I said, thousands and thousands of carnivores all over the world now. Fantastic. Dutch, great meeting you. I hope we can do this again. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate the time. All right, Dutch Masters, CEO of Carnivore Traders, and that's carnivoretrading.com. All right, that's it for me. Thanks to Jody and Brandon. We'll do it all again tomorrow with the irascible but lovable Lou, the German word of the day, news not on the news. Linda Blade from Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights pushes back against radical gender ideology. And Dr. Peter Bregan, psychiatrist and author of COVID-19 and the Global Predators. We are the prey. All right, the Brian Crombie Hour is next. I'll see you tomorrow at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's 
it? That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.